I'm David Plouffe. I'm Steve Schmidt. And this is Battleground, the podcast from Recount and iHeartRadio. David, the uh, last debate is over. We're coming into the final week. We got some great guests today, James Carville and Stuart Stevens with us. So, Steve, let's just skip our normal BS back and forth. Let's get right to it. James Carville, Stuart Stevens. Steve and I are so excited to talk to you today. Thanks for being on the Battleground. Great to be here, buddy. Thanks for inviting us to the party. Guys, it's great to see you both. Stuart, I want to talk with you. You wrote a piece this week for The Bulwark that was lecturing all of us Democratic bedwetters. I don't think James and I wet the bed. Maybe we have from time to time, but a lot of our friends have. Saying basically, listen, stop having PTSD over 16. Trump's going down. He's going down big and, and go for the landslide. I love the piece. But kind of talk to me about like what made you want to write it. What were you hearing out there that concerned you? First of all, I seem to remember losing the Democrats the popular vote every time since 1988, except, <laughs> you know, 2004. So it's like, huh, like you guys are winning. We're losing. And I just think that there's a timidity to the idea that this can't be a huge victory for Joe Biden and Senator Harris. You know, if I ran the Democratic Party, I would say, look, this is ours. There's more of us than them. We just have to go and take it. Now is the time to swagger. We have earned this. We are right. They are wrong. They are scared. Route them. Route them from the field and know that you are just. Democratic campaign culture is whining. All right. It is a different culture. And so I've written about it earlier where these never Trump people, they're not in on a conference call. They're not in a goddamn meeting. They're producing shit. Get out of the meeting. Get off the conference call. When I ran <laughs> campaigns, I never had an office because I didn't want people coming in and meeting with me. All right. <laughs> I, I, so, it's so strange to see you guys. Now you're stuck in our culture. And what I hope that you bring is just we're going to win. In 1992, Bill Clinton, unbeknownst to me or anybody else, stopped in Mississippi. And I said, man, what in the fuck are you doing in Mississippi? He said, well, Mike Espy and William Winter said, if I stop here, I could carry the state. Well, you're going to do no such thing. But you got to have that kind of an attitude in life. If you go in thinking you're going to lose, you're thinking it's going to be a disaster, then it might end up that way. And, you know, I, I say uh, Army on the march winning has good morale. An army retreating and losing has bad morale. Yeah. You got them on the run. Go get them. Yeah, but neither of you guys are saying work any less hard. It's basically, you know, what I tell people is either it's going to get closer than we'd like, and then you're going to be really happy work that hard. Or I think it's just as bad in politics almost not to win by as many votes as you could as to not win at all. You know, like maximize the pain to the other side. A lot of good comes from that. So I think sometimes, James, people are like, oh, if you say Biden's in a good position, people are going to let up. I don't think anybody's going to let up. But you're right. The, the posture needs to be athletic and not fetal. Yes. Run faster. Down the run. Chase them down. I watched Borat after the debate. We've heard the last from Rudolph Giuliani in this country, for sure. It's unfucking believable. When you see right? it, 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 yeah. it, you cannot stop laughing. And the idea that he said, I was just tucking my shirt in. You couldn't be more right. I couldn't go to sleep. It is the best goddamn thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> What's incredible about it, too, like you're watching like Rudy Giuliani's rap, right? If there was like, a 30 something year old, attractive, beautiful foreign reporter sitting across from Rudy Giuliani and he started hitting on her. We all now know forever and ever like what his game is. And it is the creepiest fucking thing. I promise you that anybody's ever seen. 
And this is the guy that's the architect of all these smears on Biden's family. Well, Ivanka Trump's got 27 patents using Chinese slave labor. You know, Donald Trump Jr., whatever he's on. I mean, and they're attacking the Bidens. I ran a campaign against President Obama and Joe Biden. That guy is clean as a whistle, clean as a whistle. And he's going to be attacked and slandered by Donald Trump and his pack of scumbags. Oh, man. But the Rudy Giuliani thing is unbelievable. It is a gift from above. Yeah. James, so one of the most memorable phrases a campaign operative has ever uttered was, it's the economy, stupid, back in 1992. You're afraid to keep the Clinton campaign focused. The Trump campaign, we know what they're going to do. It's going to be Hunter Biden and conspiracy land all the way in. What is the Biden uh, version of that? Is it COVID stupid and just keep the focus on that as cases rise? Like, how do they close here? Uh, first of all, it's Trump stupid. This whole country is Trump. All right, you can yeah. do the internals and you can do the attributes battery and you can do the negative battery and you can do everything we've all done in the campaign. At the end of the day, he's made it about himself and we, we go to post with that. The walls are caving in. And I think when you look at landslide elections, they always break late. You could go back and you know, look at the coverage on Reagan and Carter as close race, you know, in the final couple of weeks in 1980. The race is about Trump. And the second issue in the race is Trump. And the third issue is Trump. And the next 400 issues after that, it's about Trump. And I think the wave is coming for Donald Trump. The majority of people in this country, and I don't think it's a particularly small majority, are going to be, let's get this fool out of there. Get him out. He's incapable of doing the job. He's incompetent. His lethal lying has killed hundreds of thousands of us by the time it's going to be over. And we get to the end of this presidency, we're going to be in a fucking hole as a country that even the most pessimistic person couldn't have imagined four short years ago on the day that Donald Trump's limo swung by the White House and President Obama rode with them up to the inaugural dais. Part of, I think, what's happening with our approach to this is we really haven't seen this often. I mean, we go back to 2008, we consider that a landslide. It really wasn't a landslide compared to this. I mean, it was a comfortable win, pretty steady race, but it wasn't like this. You're not seeing a Republican losing senior citizens, which just is, makes it impossible for them to win. Say what you will about these different social justice movements across the country. You can call them protests. You can call them demonstrations. But it seems to me they're also get-out-the-vote drives. I mean, I cannot believe in Milwaukee, if they had an election on Tuesday, they're not going to have a record non-white turnout. Donald Trump asked what African-Americans had to lose, and he seems dedicated every day to proving it. He's a guy who went and thought it was a good idea to go sit and do a Sunday show in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial sitting right below the bust. I mean, this guy looks in the mirror and he sees Abraham Lincoln staring back. He's as batshit crazy as any person who's ever been in that office. And we don't talk about that enough. I, I just want to say one thing real quick. The reality is, is Trump's resiliency, his chances are being dramatically overstated as a hedge against being wrong two cycles in a row. And the durability, the size, the dimensions of Biden's coalition has been consistently understated. Got become friends with great guy is Tim Ryan from Ohio, the congressman. And Tim's a big advocate for mindfulness and meditation and, and breathing and all this stuff, which is like it's, you know, I've decided over the last year, like it's good, like it's a good thing to do, right? You know, I read a book about golf. It was about the mentality that these players, right, on the LPGA, the PGA tour, right, like how they're wired mentally. 
to be at the highest levels of that game. And it's so hard to do, but they have to exist entirely in the moment. They can't worry or be stressed or have any emotion around the last shot, right? There's nothing they can do about it. All they can do is prepare for the next shot, the next swing, right? And they have to do it with a pure mind, clear. That's how everybody has to think about this now. Stewart has said this many, many times on our calls, which is the only similarities between 2016 and 2020 are they both have a two and a zero in front of them. That's it. This is the worst president in American history. The experiment has failed. It's failed. And now it's time to hold these people to account. Yeah. What do you guys think Trump's floor is? Is it possible he could get 43, 44? You know, what, what do you guys think? 43. The incumbent generally gets what they're getting, right? In the rule of politics, it has to add up to 100. So take Trump's estimated vote, plug in estimated third party vote, subtract from 100, and that's what you end up with. But you got to start with 100 because it's not going to be 49, 41 on election. Right. We know that. So let's say 43 seems to be, if you look across the board, that there's convergence there. So let's say the third party gets two or gets three. So that 43 and three is 46. So Biden gets, it's 54, 43. If that's the case, you run the table. On all those center races. Yeah. It's massive. Massive. That, that's the basic physics of politics. Trump won for one simple reason. He ran in a year in which a Republican could win with 46.1. Romney lost for 47.2, which you may remember, David. I do. And take a state like Wisconsin. Romney lost by seven. Wasn't particularly close. Trump wins by just under one. But Romney got more votes. Right. You know, but 40 or 50,000 votes didn't show up in the greater Milwaukee area. What do you think the odds are those votes aren't going to show up this time in Milwaukee? I mean, I think that you're going to have an increase over that. You know, the, the, any sane candidate, president, when you run 46.1, you would have sighed a big sigh of relief and gone about building that up. And Trump's attitude is, well, I'm going to kill those other sons of bitches that weren't for me instead of trying to build a broader coalition. And I look at what he's doing among African-Americans, and I can't tell you how many times Republican races for incumbents, we've sat there with an African-American number between 10 and 15 right up to election day. And then on election night, we're looking at 8%. It just goes away. So if I saw a poll that Trump was doing better because he was getting 13, 14% of the African-American vote, particularly in the South, I would weight that down. Say, like, that ain't going to happen, man. It just won't, in reality, show up. You know, when when you get beat and you get beat bad, you look different. All right. It changes everything. Instead of Mike Tyson, he hits you so hard, it changes the way you taste. We're going to know early Tuesday night. And Trump is not going to go out. And he's going to be a beaten man. He's going to be beat. He's going to have a vacant look. They're not going to taste the same Tuesday night. He's going to look like a loser. The United States is going to be a fundamentally different country than it is today. And the ass beating he's going to get is going to be like the Mike Tyson style ass beating. It's not going to be on points. (laughs) Can't fucking wait. Trump's only hope here is all these non-college whites in Wisconsin, James and Pennsylvania, as you famously coined it, they're just going to come out in big numbers. And listen, I think Trump's going to get decent turnout. But when you look weak, when you're losing, 
when these voters, like everybody else, are pissed about how you've dealt with COVID, like this is not just hurting him as swing voters. I think this is going to hurt his ability to drive the kind of turnout he wants. He just looks like a crazy loser right now. So I'm part of a project. We're spending $70 million in 77 counties in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Let me repeat that. We're spending $70 million in 77 counties. When we scour through this, we're going to say, damn, college non-white women really moved and college white men really moved. You can't say this in, in politics. The action in the country right now is among whites. That's where the changes are coming. And you're going to see non-college white women and college white men move away from the Republicans. I think that's going to be a big story when they unearth the results of this election. Trump's entire image of what the country is is just off. I mean, your average suburban white kid in Mississippi would rather be a black rap star than Robert E. Lee. I mean, he just has the entire <laughs> cultural uh, uh, basis wrong. I mean, you know, they're not having a lot of old Southballs anymore. As somebody who, you know, there are black male pictures out there of me at Old South Ball when I was a teenager. But, um, okay. and, and look, at, look at suburbs. We're not going to talk about this, Jane. Um, how, how many women do we know that live in the suburbs who like to be called suburban housewives? You know, I, I don't know <laughs> one. I mean, everyone I know has at least six or seven jobs. And I don't know anybody who would like to think that their kids would look at them and if a neighbor moved in who was a different ethnicity or different religion, you wouldn't welcome them. There's nothing in our culture except these cesspools on the internet that encourage racism. I mean, that's not the person you want to be. One of the great tragedies of Trump is he's emboldened these people, but it's not taken over, I think, culture. So uh, you, you look at these people, you know, the flip side of the internet proud boys and all of that is there's more of a cultural similarity in the country. I mean, people are listening more to the same music. People are watching more of the same Netflix. And People don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that angry hater who Trump appeals to. The people, I think, who deep down are probably the most disappointed in Trump are the non-college educated white men, because I think that they really thought that their life might change. It sure did. It got worse. So you're saying that these suburban housewives don't want their sons to grow up to be 350-pound tattooed Proud Boys <laughs> yeah, with exactly. an AR-15 on the state yeah. capitol steps. It's just a frozen sort of bonfire of the vanities, you know, 1978 Queens view of the world. I think the great, great tragedy is how the Republican Party has endorsed this. And I think it will be to their eternal shame. I hope that like a lot of these people, like Steve, I know a lot of them, I've never had a conversation with an elected Republican official since 2015 in which they thought Donald Trump should be president. I mean, you can't find them. So everything that Ben Sass is saying on those calls, they're all saying that to each other. I mean, they come back from accounts of meeting with Trump and they're wide eyed. Like, as you know, they just walked out of an episode of downfall and yet they won't say anything. And I, I just think it's just uh, the saddest moment that these people just turned out to be just smaller than the moment demanded. And it'll forever be their shame. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back to talk more with Stuart and James. We're back with Stuart Stevens and James Carville. Stuart and James, you guys know every precinct in the country from Alaska to Florida, but you know the South really well. You're down there. 
I thought one interesting way to think about what may happen is, you know, you've got this Mississippi Center race where probably a lot closer than people thought. And James, we got this Louisiana Center race. Not many people talking about it. Amazing candidate, Adrian Perkins. Like, like what, what do you guys think is going to happen in those two races? Well, first of all, and I'll turn it over to Stuart. It, the Atlantic South is different than the Gulf South. All right, North Carolina, Georgia, even South Carolina. These are states that have in-migration. There's a lot of African-American in-migration in Georgia. Right? And then you have a lot of people from the north. In, in Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, to some extent Tennessee, th- that's a little tougher nut. And in Mississippi, as Stuart can tell you, it's theoretical. You, 38% of the vote could be black. Mississippi is, a, percentage-wise, the blackest state in, in the country. You know, you could theoretically win with about 21.5% of the white. Mike is probably four points down, but that's the hardest four points in American politics. Right. My advice to the SB campaign would be to try to maximize the African-American vote to take that percent that they're going to get. He's going to get 90 plus percent, probably 94, 95 percent. And just if we knew today what percent the total African-American vote will be of the total vote, I think we'll know who is going to win. But I think that there are a lot of Mississippians in sort of classic suburban areas who are appalled by Donald Trump. They find uh, Cindy Smith just sort of an embarrassment, which he is. I mean, he's the most accidental senator. I mean, basically, Governor Bryant picked her because she went to Southern, and he went to Southern, and he hated the fact that all the senators had been from Ole Miss, which is not the most compelling reason to pick a United States senator. She hasn't done anything. She's afraid to debate. You know, if I was in that campaign, it would scare me to death, because every day it's about how many points do we lose today? And they're, they're not gaining a, a single vote. So it's like an NBA game. You've you got to have the ball at the end, and Sidney Smith doesn't even want the ball. She has no message. So I think it will probably come down to what kind of year this is going to be. If it's 2000, no, SB won't win. If it's closer to 2008, and God love us, it could be 1964. If it's 1964, SB's going to win. I mean, he'll win by a couple of points. And you know that old thing that we used to say, the bigger candidate wins? He is the bigger candidate. The SBs in Mississippi are a phenomenal family. They have tremendous credibility, not just in the African-American community, but in the business community in, in Mississippi. So, look, I, I, I hope the hell he wins. And I helped elect the you know, Republicans in Mississippi since 1978. And I hope he wins. There is a South Haven. There is a Madison, a North Hines. There is a Starkville. There is an Oxford. All right. It's not overwhelming numbers, but you can already see them starting to move somewhat. And as soon as you say Mississippi to people, throw this giant wall up. So wait a minute, stop just a second. Let's think this thing through. And the Mississippi has a much better chance, I think, of electing a Democrat than a lot of these other states, like Tennessee or Arkansas in particular. There are suburbs here, and they, they are starting to change voting behavior. One real telling sign there is the state finally took down the state flag. So it was basically the Confederate battle flag. Somehow Donald Trump that same week managed to get in a fight with NASCAR because they wanted to take down their Confederate flags. So Republicans end up on the wrong side of a cultural war with NASCAR. I mean, and the argument that was made why we needed to take down the state flag is a lot of the argument why we need to elect Mike Espy. It'll be better for business. It'll be better for the image. Everybody hates getting off that plane and that look you get when you say you're from Mississippi. And it'd be better for our sports teams. It'd be a hell of a lot easier to recruit with Mike Espy as your, your <laughs> senator than Sidney Smith. And that's no small thing. 
you know, you're a CEO, you're sitting in Indianapolis, you get a call from Mike Espy, the first African-American senator since Reconstruction, you're going to answer the damn phone. You get a call from Sidney Hyde Smith, it's like, who's she? Right. Another guy like that is Gaines in, in Montana. We have a couple of Sullivan in Alaska, a couple of these invisible Republican senators that are in really, really tight races. People in their seat just have no idea who these people are at all. They've been senators and have left no footprints at all. Let me make a point. Let's assume the Democrats have a big night. Let's assume we got 54, 55 senators. The Democratic Senate caucus will be more pragmatic in January of 2021 than it is right now. Because look who's going to be coming to town. Jamie Harrison, Mark Kelly, John Hickenlooper, Steve Bullock, maybe Al Gross. All right. This is not the squad that's going to be here. And, and the same thing, we're going to probably pick up 10, 15 House seats. All of the seats we picked up in 2018, that caucus got more pragmatic. Look at the Colin Alrods and Abigail Spanbergers of the world. These are not, these are different kind of breed of people. And I think there's going to be a pretty internal check within the congressional caucuses. And, and Biden is by nature an institutionalist and a moderate guy. And he's been very careful to make that point. And I had these justice Democrats and they talk about the races they won. I said, you win a race with a cook PVI of under plus 20 dim, then talk to me. I'll be impressed. But if you want a race in the Bronx, I'm not impressed. So they're going to win. Seats in, in northern Alabama, great. Or northwest Georgia, great. That, that, you haven't done shit there. Yeah, no, I agree with that, James. I, listen, first of all, the most powerful people in Washington, if we have a good election outcome, will be those new Democratic senators. They'll be heroes, number one, but they are more moderate. I saw something that I've never seen before. They sent me a time series, and this is a good poll. It was a Pollock poll. Jamie Harrison's white vote is creeping up. In the South, you, you, whatever you get, that's what you're going to end up with if you're lucky. I've never seen in the South, it was getting from 27 to 28 to 30. After his white favorable was creeped up a little bit. That is unheard of prior to this cycle. Unheard of. Well, I, I, you know, I, I'd run naked down Pennsylvania Avenue on a cold day if Lindsey Graham loses, man. I would be the happiest guy in America. I, I, that he is... Everything wrong with politics, and he is such a disgusting disgrace and sort of epitomizes the fall of the Republican Party. Stick around, and we'll be right back with Stuart Stevens and James Carville. We're back with the legendary Stuart Stevens and James Carville. One of the amazing things about the cycle, the four of us, we spent some time trying to beat the shit out of each other through the years. We're all now part of the same crusade. A lot of our friends are as well. And I think for me, one of the healthiest signs for the country is when we can go back to being on opposite sides again. <laughs> and so when is that going to happen when you feel like the Republican Party is healthy enough that you can go back to help and elect them? I'm not sure I'll be alive. Wow. I mean that uh, seriously. But I, I think it's, it's going to take a lot longer than we think. You look at 2024, there's not one indication that an anti-Trump candidate is going to run for the Republican nomination. It's going to be all these people that we would have said could have been the best of the party, like Nikki Haley. I mean, everything that Nikki Haley said when she endorsed Marco Rubio about how terrible Donald Trump is, she believes. And she's just walked away from all of that, you know. 
You get someone like Josh Hawley in Missouri, right? So Josh goes to Stanford. He teaches at St. Paul's in London, founded like 14-something. He goes to Yale Law School, writes a beautiful little biography of Teddy Roosevelt that he publishes at 28 with Yale University Press, and he's running against the elites. It's like, really? <laughs> really? I mean, you know, I'm like a guy painting my face blue running around the heath compared to this guy. I mean, uh, it's just a complete phoniness. And there's no market for an alternative voice. Now, maybe Trump gets crashed, but Trump's not going to go away. You know, I think when you look at history, when parties endorse hate, which is really what the Republican Party's done, it is a long road to get that out and often a bloody road. Now, hopefully this won't be bloody, but you can't undo it quickly. That's sobering, man. I think the Republican frontrunner for 2024 is Tucker Carlson. And I don't think it's close. And I think this is just a difference between the Democratic Party and the Trump Republican Party is that, you know, the Democratic Party, the debates and the arguments are fights over ideas. The Republican Party is little more than an organized conspiracy to hold political power for the benefit of self-interest of the donor class and the elected officials. I mean, you can read the platform. It's a statement of obedience and loyalty to Trump. So power will diffuse in a loss, but it's going to aggregate to the entertainment wing of the party. It's going to strengthen the hand of Fox News, the new Trump media network, OAN, all of these crazy groups. And what do you do when you're running for president? You give a speech if you're the Republican candidate establishing your conservative bona fides. If you're the Democratic candidate, you go establish your progressive bona fides. Every one of these candidates is going to go establish their conspiracy theory bona fides. And the conspiracy will be the illegitimacy of the result, the stab in the back, the widespread fraud, because we live in this era that's totally detached from reality. That's a majority of the party. And I don't you know, the idea that Charlie Baker or Larry Hogan are going to be the reform agents and come in and win the nomination. I, you know, Tom Cotton, Tucker Carlson, Nikki Haley, they're all running on the Trump card and we'll be dealing with it for some time now. now see, I, yeah, yeah I, James, I, I, right. give us an optimistic note, man. First of all, the Republican Party is going to have to decide, does it want to be a cult or a political party? And if they choose to go down that road and be a cult and dominate Tucker Carlson, Josh Harley, then that's a cult that you don't want to be in. Look at the people on this phone call. We're all kind of state school guys. We're competitive. Everybody thinks they're better than everybody else. You know, if I could do that, I could do this. And this is a really big dick world that we live in. And what is just remarkable is that Obama, the Clinton people are no shit, or the Romney people, or the McCain people, and this and that. Fuck all of that. We just all collectively, without anybody having a conference call, a Zoom call, ended up in the same place. And this is the most important thing we have ever done in our lives. It's ever done in our lives. And nobody's second-guessing Biden campaign. Oh, if I was in there, I'd have said this last night. And if you did, people would come down on you with, with a ton of bricks. All right? And... This has just been a rewarding thing for me personally to see all of you. And okay, we all liked each other and we'd see each other and still, you know, we did uh, K Street and, you know, we'd do this and we'd see each other and shit, you know. But everything that we all thought, every jealousy we had, everything we had, oh, fuck that. Let's go. And if anybody steps out, they get crushed. They get crushed. 
Well, I agree with that, Jane. By the way, I agree with you. I mean, the piece you wrote about the crusade we're all involved in and millions of Americans, it was very stirring. And I hear you talk about it. And I think, right, we've all done a lot of important stuff, but this is the most important thing we'll all do is get rid of the stain. Well, in the Republican Party, I think Stuart and Steve, I mean, you guys are pretty dark about it. And it seems to me like this isn't a question for political leaders. If Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch and the Breitbart people in Prager University and the Epoch Times and Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram say, you know what? Trumpism wasn't the problem. It's just Trump was kind of flawed. So we're going to attach a new snake head to the body. Like they're making the decisions. They're running the show, right? I mean, Steve, you're saying Carlson could even be the nominee. To me, you know, when you're in the middle of this, it's hard to realize it. But I think we've never seen a collapse of a party like the Republican Party's collapsed. It's really unparalleled. And I think that it's not going to uh, go away or change. There's not going to be any revisionist Republican Party until the party gets just completely annihilated. And probably, I think we're in for a period of center-left government. You know, maybe 12 or 16 years from now, something emerges, you know, if the trajectory of the country moves too far to the left. But I'm optimistic about the country. You could be optimistic about the country with being deeply pessimistic about the future of the Republican Party. But I think we have a fascistic, enterprise that has taken root on American soil. We've all talked about this. You know, the Republican that I most identified with in my time, one of the finest guys I ever met was Jack Kemp. I was on the side of trying to take a message into the Black community, into the Hispanic community. I gave a speech very, very early, you know, in 2009 about the conservative case for gay marriage. Stewart believed in that. Our friend Ken Melman believed in that. Our side lost. We're out. It's been fully taken over. We'll see what happens in the aftermath. James has, you know, talked about the decision to be made in the present tense and the future tense. And I think they made the decision. The decision's been made over the last four years. And so it's not about being at a fork in the road. It's a different decision to start hiking back up the mountain trail that you went down. That's much more the story ahead. When you look at the Twitter feeds of a Nikki Haley, all these people, I think they put their stake in the ground. And all I can tell you is this, it's dark. And what I think is interesting is that the Democratic friends of mine that I talked to, you know, have worked at the highest level like you guys, without exception, are more optimistic about a Republican Party snapping back to some normalcy than, than all of us who have lined up to fight against Trumpism. We're all pretty dark about it. But the first time there is a Republican who's kind of an anti-Trumpist, anti-conspiracy theory people who comes out, that's going to be a powerful candidate. I think people will be hungry for that. The question is, is the barrier in front of them just too big to allow that to happen in terms of, you know, the general electorate? You know, we talk about these governors. I love these guys. Phil Scott, Charlie Baker, Larry Hogan. I worked for all those guys, right? Here's something that you guys can appreciate better than just about anybody else in America. As popular as they are, they can't pick their own state party chairman. They're all Trump people. I mean, the idea to us that a popular sitting governor can't pick your own state party chairman. I mean, it'd be like telling Bill Belichick, no, no, you can't like substitute. You got to like, you know, call somebody, on, uh, you know, mad dog and ask their permission. But that's the world they live in. And any same party would look at these people and say, look, you're selling our product in the toughest market. What the hell can we learn from you? No, they're kind of treated with benign neglect at best. You can't change unless there's a desire to change. And we're not very successful with African-Americans in Bush world, but at least we acknowledged it was a failure. 
and tried to change. Now, you know, we have a, a Republican president that tells an African-American moderator that he's the least racist person in the room. I mean, it's like there's not enough drugs in the world to like make that normal. <laughs> but that's where the party is. It's interesting listening to this. I love all you guys. But as we're talking about this, it's just, you know, kind of on the partisan divide between Democrats and us former Republicans is that, you know, liberalism, progressivism is the more optimistic of the philosophies. Part of our small C conservatism is is grounded in a view of human nature that's obviously a little bit darker than the two of you. Um, (laughs) Right. You know, you want to have two functioning parties in the country, but uh, you're not going to see that again, I don't think, for you no, know, it's not going to be a four-year recovery. I, I it won't be an eight-year recovery. It'll be a 12 to 16. And, you know, I'm not sure what's there is by then is even called a Republican Party. But I, I know this. I know in about a week's time, the worst president in the history of this country is going to be repudiated and humiliated. And it's going to be an American coalition that does it. Look, I, this is like the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. I feel like I finally had a good war. You know, veteran of Vietnam era, this is a good war and we're making good trouble. It's, it's a real pleasure to be part of this. James Carville, Stuart Stevens, thanks for being on the Battleground and thanks for all you're doing to save the country. Battleground is a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. If you like us, please give us a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Allie Rogers is our executive producer. Jess Williams did research for this episode. And Christian Castro-Wassell is our executive producer.